This is better. I like this. All right, let's. Yeah, don't be. <laughs> we are Baptist. <laughs> let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we praise you this evening, uh, even for the snow, the snow that made it difficult to be here, but uh, we praise you for the snow that reminds us of your grace, your mercy that is new every morning, uh, your grace that covers our sin uh, by faith alone and Christ alone. Even this evening as we open your word, as we look to Psalm 15, may we be encouraged that our hope is not in our works, our hope is in Christ. May you be honored in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 15. We're in Psalm 15 this evening. I'm going to start by reading the psalm, and we'll go from there. Psalm 15. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle, who may dwell in your holy hill. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. But he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Psalm 15 is an interesting psalm. It's one of those psalms that we're not exactly sure the circumstances surrounding when it was written. There's a couple possibilities that I came across. Some say that it could be uh, a psalm written as that David writes as the tabernacle is coming into Jerusalem. It's being moved to, to its final place there in Jerusalem. And as David sees this tabernacle coming, as he's preparing for it, he's dwelling on these thoughts. Who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? Another possibility is it could be um, uh, written more along the lines of uh, for the purpose of as the people approach the temple, specifically pilgrims, as they're coming in to Jerusalem, as they're coming up to the temple, they're, they're meditating on this, they're singing this, this song, meditating on these thoughts. Who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? Either way, the, the point, the purpose of this psalm is the same. It's a meditation. Thinking through who may approach the Lord, who may dwell in his presence. It's a worthy thought. It's a thought that we all need to meditate on. But I think it's, it's, it's all the more powerful given the context following directly after Psalm 14. Remember, may remember last week we were in Psalm 14. And Psalm 14, if you remember, is all about the sinfulness of man. It's God's people as they lament sin and its far-reaching effects. It comes to this conclusion in, in verse 3. 
They have all turned aside. They have altogether become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. We are all sinners. We are all foolish. And then you come to Psalm 15. Who may dwell, who may abide in the tabernacle, who may dwell in the holy hill? Following Psalm 14, that's an appropriate question. It's interesting, as you work your way through uh, the psalm, you see kind of three stages. The question, the answer, and then the promise at the end. The question, I've already mentioned several times, who may abide in your chapel, who may dwell in your holy hill, who may dwell in your presence, who can approach God? What's interesting is it's phrased twice. Who may abide in your tabernacle. That's more of a, a temporary approach. Right? A tabernacle. It's, a, it's the tent. It's made for moving. It's set up. It's torn down. Who may abide in your tabernacle. But in the second phrase there, who may dwell, that's more of the idea of, of permanent dwelling in your holy hill. A hill or a mountain. That is permanent. Right? That doesn't move. And the idea altogether being stressed here is who can approach the Lord? Who can come into this God's presence? Verses 2 to the beginning of verse 5 answers this question. And he answers it kind of in four stages. And and you'll notice as we read through this, it goes positive, negative, positive, negative. Negative. I think you'll see what I mean. Look at verse, verse 2 is positive. It describes what this person does. He does good. It's he who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. These are things that he does. He does goodness. Verse 3 then moves to the negative side. What he does in verse 3 then, what he doesn't do. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. He does good, he does not do evil. Then we come back to the positive in verse 4. In whose eyes a vile person is despised. He honors those who fear the Lord, and he swears to his own hurt and does not change. There, not only does he do good, he promotes good. Goodness thrives around him. The vile person is not despised. Those who fear the Lord are honored. The truth is is told regardless. I found that that last phrase there, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change, I found that interesting given uh, what we were just considering with the Gibeonites and Joshua just last Sunday night. As you read that chapter, it begs the question, why didn't they just, if they were lied to, Why didn't they just change his covenant? Because they gave their word. They swore. He who swears to his own heart and does not change. In the beginning of verse 5, it's back to negative. What he does not do. He does not put out his money at usury. He does not take a bribe against the innocent. He does not promote injustice. Evil does not thrive around him. He does not... Uh, uh, contribute to the evil going on. 
So who is this person? He is someone who does good, someone who does not do evil, someone who promotes good, and someone who does not promote evil. He's a righteous person. It's the qualities of a God-honoring life. And then you come to the promise. He who does these things shall never be moved. He who does these things shall never be moved. But there's something in chapter 15 that makes us uneasy. It's a good question that's being asked. Who may approach God? Who may dwell in his presence? Who can come into the presence of this holy God? We're excited to hear the answer. I mean, just picture yourself, right? Let's picture yourself. You're walking. You've made this pilgrimage. You're coming to the temple. Maybe it's time for a feast, and you and your family have made this trip, and you're walking up the hill. You're coming to Jerusalem. We'll put ourselves in the time of the temple under Solomon. So, so we see this glorious temple. And as you come around the bend, and you see this, and you're looking forward to that, and you know this is the dwelling place of God on earth. We are coming to worship him. And as you approach this, you're thinking through this psalm. Who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? And you start singing through these verses. He who walks uprightly. I normally try to do that. He who works righteousness. I, I try to do that. He who speaks the truth in his heart. I don't always do that. I try to. He who does not backbite with his tongue. That's where it gets me. I do do that. Does evil to his neighbor. He who does not take up, he who does, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. And whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money a usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. And by the time you come to this promise at the end, he who does these things will never be moved. You're left with the conclusion, that's not me. That's not me. What hope do I have to abide in the tabernacle, to dwell in the holy hill, to approach this God? The beauty of Psalm 15 is that it leads us to worship. Because as you're approaching this temple, as you walk in, you come up to the front gates and you have your animal with you, and before you can even get close, there's a sacrifice. There's a sacrifice. God has provided for me. One commentator put it this way, what transforms Psalm 15 from a barrier to a gateway, in the context of the text where he was commenting, what he was saying was, when you first read Psalm 15, it very easily could become a barrier. I have no hope. What hope do I have to approach this God? And so he takes that and he says, what transforms Psalm 15 from a barrier to a gateway to a gateway is the realization that the preparation for worship, so as I'm singing this song, as I'm preparing, as I'm coming into the temple, 
illumines also the necessity for worship. As I'm meditating on this, on who can approach this holy God, as I'm singing this, I come to the realization that not me, not me, And that opens my eyes to the necessity for worship. Because you see, if, if I could approach this God in my own works, if I could do these things, I wouldn't need to worship. I wouldn't need Him. But the fact is, I do need Him. And so meditating on this, preparing for worship, leads me to worship. I have to worship. I have to offer the sacrifice, otherwise I cannot get in. The bad news is that there's not one among us who meets the qualifications of Psalm 15. We are all sinners, as Psalm 14 lays out very clearly. We're utterly foolish. In these two psalms, working together, Psalm 14 presents the problem we are all sinners. Psalm 15 makes it clear that this is a problem that we cannot fix. I am a sinner. I cannot approach this holy God. And Psalm 14 and 15 together lead us, should lead us, to fall before the mercy of God in worship. The answer to my problem is not in myself. For I am utterly foolish. I am utterly unrighteous. I am a sinner. As a New Testament believer, our minds cannot help but go to Hebrews 4. 14, seeing then so their hope as they, as they are, are, are singing this song as they come into the temple and they, they sacrifice the animal and that blood is spilt and they see the vivid picture of, of my sin the penalty for my sin my hope in approaching this God is not in my works it's in his mercy his grace he's provided a way We don't have that vivid picture. We don't have that temple that we go to. But we have this promise. In Hebrews 4, starting at verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore... Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. Our approach to the throne of God. My only plea is not the fact that I do these things. It's the mercy of God. It's the grace of God alone. In Christ alone, I can come boldly to the throne of grace. My hope in coming to God in prayer is in Christ. My hope in spending eternity in the presence of God is in Christ and Christ alone. 
So Psalm 14 and Psalm 15 work together to drive us. To lean into, to embrace the mercy of God. To fall on our knees and to thank this God. For if it were not him, for him, then no one could abide in his tabernacle. No one could dwell in his holy hill. We are all unrighteous. We are all filthy. The good news of Psalm 15 is that we have hope. God is a merciful, forgiving, gracious God who sent his son to die for our sins. The good news of Psalm 15 is that God has provided a way. What's interesting is is when we get to Psalm 16, David begins in this way. Let me get back there. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my God. My goodness is nothing apart from you. Following Psalm 14 and 15, David is led to this conclusion. And it's the same conclusion that we are led to. That is the same conclusion that any thinking, honest person with themselves has to come to. My hope is not in myself. My goodness apart from God is nothing. It's nothing but filthy rags. My hope is in him alone. And it's to that that we cling. And that's the good news of Psalm 15. We are sinners, but God is gracious. As we pray, I would encourage you with that truth. Let let that be the, the focus of your prayers coming out of Psalm 15. Praising God for his grace. Praising God for his mercy. Praising God that I do not approach him in my merit. Do not approach him in my works. My claim to come before the throne of grace is not because I was good today. It's because of the grace of God in Christ. That's my claim. That's the foundation on which I stand. That is my hope. For today, for tomorrow, for eternity. So as we pray, let let us focus on, on prayers of praise. Praising God for who he is, for what he has done for us. Praising God that the answer to verse 1 of Psalm 15 is that anyone can approach this God. Anyone can abide in your tabernacle. Anyone can dwell in your holy hill who puts their faith in Christ. That's our hope. That's what we cling to. That's the good news of Psalm 15. Let us focus on that in our prayers. Before we head that way, are there any thoughts? Thoughts? 